Good morning. First Corinthians chapter six and verse 11. First Corinthians chapter six and verse 11. Thank you, thank you, Rick. And such were some of you, but now you are washed but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. That's 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. We're going to take that verse and walk around it and look at it and put it into context and then ask ourselves, what does it mean to me? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you. But to put it into context, we have to go back and just, well, this is what we'll do. We'll spend about five minutes just uh, putting it into context uh, in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a bit, maybe 50 miles southwest of Athens. Uh, most of you know it was on a, a peninsula and uh, a lot of trade went across this peninsula. And it was a city of commerce, sailors, uh, tourists. It's like Los Angeles, right? A lot of tourists and a lot of commerce. But they also, for the tourists, they also had a temple there, um, a temple to Aphrodite, the, the goddess of love, the equivalent of Ro the Romans, Venus, Aphrodite. And thousand sacred prostitutes available. So they were familiar with sexual, uh, sex was a big issue. And as you know that when you read 1 Corinthians, it's a big issue. And in fact, it got so bad that the believers felt, well, I should be celibate, I should be cast, even if I'm married, okay? I'd be more spiritual because of the environment they're in. They went to the extreme. And some went one extreme, the others went to the other extreme. And, and Paul is trying to deal with this. The church is in the middle of this busy, sinful city. So Paul spends a year and a half teaching them the word of God. And just to put this chapter into context, uh, they wrote him some, about some of the issues they had in their assembly. And my guess is it was a large assembly because of such a variety of people there's business people, there's slaves, there's masters, there's rich, there's poor. Uh, some even were so rich they would get drunk when they came to the breaking of bread, okay? I mean, that's, that, those are, some came hungry. So you had the whole spectrum of people. Uh, and the first thing he talks about in 6, and we won't read over this, I'll just summarize it for you, was a business issue. Here in the center of town's a marketplace. And there's a magistrate who sits there, and he sits at a place called the Bema, okay, the judgment seat. And he sits there, and he uh, uh, administers, you know, makes calls on issues that the business people might have with each other. And Paul hears that Christians are going there to the marketplace and bringing their issues before him. And he thinks this is very embarrassing for the Christians. He shames them. 
that you would go there, and here's the women shopping around the marketplace, and they stop and they listen to some of the issues going on in, in the church, okay? Paul's trying to, he's trying to build a church here that's going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, and here these believers are going to court against each other. And he reminds them that at some point, you believers are going to be judging angels. Can't you find someone other than the magistrate, who's an unbeliever, to, to, to make your call for? Is there not a, a, one, a one wise person in your assembly to help you make this call? Uh, if not, and this is amazing, he says, you ought to just let yourself be cheated. Rather than bring all this mess before the magistrate in the public for everybody to see, just let yourself be defrauded and cheated. And that's what he says in verse 7. So why don't we just go there. Now therefore, uh, verse 6 says, But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. That's just what I was telling you. Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Now that, that, there's a Christian attitude. Verse 8, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. So on the one hand, if you're being, you feel you're being cheated, he's saying, let it go. On the other hand, if you're cheating, uh, shame on you. You're cheating your own brothers. Um, and then we get to verse 9 to put this whole, this verse 11 into context. You have to go then to verse 9. Then he says, you guys who are cheating are like this. And he goes to verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So he's putting the cheaters into this category, these business cheaters into this category of these other people. And listen to the other people. He lists them. Fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Uh, all this sexual sin, all this sexual immorality. So he's saying you business people who cheat are just like these people nor thieves. See, they're really thieves. He's saying, you're, you're a thief, just like these other people in this list, nor revilers, nor extortioners, and none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So he puts the business people into the category of being such wicked people as he's listed here. And if I was a business person, I would say, oh, what I'm doing is not that bad. I'm trying to get ahead. I'm trying to make some money. And somebody's trying to cheat me, and I'm going to get even with them. Okay? And he said, but you are. You're no different than these folks. So that's how that puts this verse into context. And, uh, so it, but he does point out that none of these people, if this is their habitual way of living, if you'd characterize their character as being these kinds of people, they're unrighteous, and they're not going to, what he says, inherit the kingdom of God. So you don't want to be identified with them. Your lifestyle should be different. And the key verse is verse 11. That is such a magnificent verse. And such were some of you. It is the list of wicked people. He said, such were some of you. But you are washed. But you were sanctified. This is all past tense notice. This is the way your life used to be. Now you have Christ. Okay, and that, that's the important point here. And if I was one of these people, was, fell in, into one of these categories, 
the fact that Jesus Christ would save me from all my sins and I'd have assurance of eternal life, of heaven with him, I'd be rejoicing in this verse. Every time I thought about the past, I would bring up this verse. I'd memorize this, this part. If you're there, this is the letter you've gotten. You know, you've gotten a letter in the mail uh, to the Corinthian church. But I would memorize that what, this is what Paul said. And some were such of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I'd memorize that to my heart because I would need it. One of the problems of being saved out of such terrible lifestyles is the regret that follows. And you need the constant reassurance that God loves me and it's settled. My sin has been dealt with once and forever on the cross. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 is so precious to me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You see, that, that's the way you would feel if you had this, you saw this letter. It's from Paul. He's the one that preached to me. He's the one I got saved through. He's my spiritual father. And he's assuring me, yeah, I'm washed. I'm washed. I'm washed. Such were some of you. And so, and to some degree, we can all, even the business people who cheat, okay, can you imagine some of the things that we have done that are all forgiven because of the blood of Christ? And such were some of you. If you've done some of these things and God has convicted of you and you've repented, well, God bless you. You're, you're saved, you know, if you've been convicted by it. But if this is your lifestyle, you're not saved. You don't know the Lord at all. And where are you headed for? A lost eternity, okay? Uh, eternity in hell. And such were some of you. So these are the ones that got saved out of those lifestyles. Washed, washed but you were washed. I was, uh, I probably should even tell you this, but anyway, we're watching a, a PBS, docu uh, PBS series that I think it took place in the 1980s. It was, it was uh, East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Watch this on TV. And there's a girl in it who's really messed up. And anyway, she, she does some things, and her mother finds out when she's a little girl, and she just scrubs her with this big scrub brush, okay, to make her clean. And later on, she gets involved in more sin, and she takes the same scrub brush and tries to clean her hands. Of, she knows she's done wrong. And if those of you who have had literature, I was never a literature buff in college. Uh, that was one class I dodged. If I, I think I took it, but I didn't get a very good grade. Uh, but Macbeth, have you ever read Macbeth or heard about Lady Macbeth? They conspire to, she and her husband, her husband, her husband was a general, and Lady Macbeth and her husband conspire to murder King, Scottish King Duncan. And they do it, and the blood is everywhere. A little water clears us of this deed. How easy it is then. Later, Macbeth had said that even the ocean couldn't wash his hands clean of Duncan's blood. Lady Macbeth, who scorned him then, now finds the blood died into her conscience. And she sleepwalks when she's older, and she sees bloodstains on her hands in the sleepwalking. And she'll scrub her hands for 15 minutes at a time. You can't wash away the bloodstains, the guilt of the murder, you see. 
And in a way, that's what uh, this morning uh, Rod gave some ministry on Pilate. What did Pilate do when Jesus was brought before him? He knew he was a just man, but what did he do? He washed his hands, okay, symbolically saying, I'm innocent. You know, just when he could have saved him, but he's, the washing of the hands, you see. Uh, there's guilt in your heart. Does washing of the hands make any difference? And you see, sometimes psychologically, people will say, yeah, you know, if I just wash my hands enough, I'll be forgiven of all this. Psalm 51 and 6 says this, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. See, God is the only one who can cleanse the inward parts and make us fit for heaven. Peter knew it when Jesus spoke to him the night of the Last Supper. Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Remember, they're in that scene where Jesus was going to wash all their feet. And Jesus says, uh, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And he says, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Wash me all over. You know, I want to be a part of you. And then Titus 3 and 5 says this, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration is the new birth. Okay, and that's how he saves us. We trust Christ as our personal Savior. We go to the cross, figuratively, we go to the cross and say, thank you for dying for my sins. You took God's punishment on the cross for me. Thank you for that. I trust you as my Savior. You're born again, the washing of regeneration. And then later he takes the word of God and says, we're, we're, uh, we're washed by the word too. Now that we're believers, we're, we're studying the word of God and that daily cleansing and asking for forgiveness for sins. But that daily cleansing is what keeps our paths straight, you see, and our relationship warm with the Lord, with the Lord himself. But you were washed, and I knew if I was in the, in, then and had done some of these things, these, this was my lifestyle, I would thank God for that verse. You were washed. Praise God. Next thing he says, though, is that you were, but you were sanctified. So at the time, you trust Christ as your personal Savior. You take that Jesus died for me. God says, you were just, you were sanctified. You were set apart for his special use. That's funny. In Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, we read, uh, you're called to be saints. And you're going to see all the problems they had in that assembly. They were, they, they were called to be saints, to be sanctified. That's where the word comes from, saints and sanctified. Called to be saints. Jesus, when he prays in John chapter 17, that's the real Lord's prayer when he's anticipating death on the cross and he prays for his disciples and those who will trust in him because of their testimony. He's basically asking God to sanctify them. Sanctify, separate them for your own use. He says, sanctify them. 
And in the amplified version, I looked this up, it said, purify, consecrate, separate them for yourself, make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. They're called saints. So if you're cleansed from guilt of sin and reconciled to God through Christ, you are sanctified. So again, this 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. Then he says, but you were justified. That was the last thing in that, in that verse. It's a tremendous verse. It's powerful. You're declared righteous. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, we read this. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God hates sin. Does he punish us? He, he, he will. But then he's, his son comes and gives his life up at the cross, and God punishes him for our sin. He was made to be sin for us. He who knew no sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here we are. We're standing before God, and we're in Christ. He looks and sees that we are in Christ. You're forgiven. You're declared righteous, even though you know in your own heart, man, I don't deserve this. Thank God that Jesus died for me. I don't deserve it, but I have it. Declared righteous. I'm justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, the kinds of people that are described in verse 9, uh, that terrible list, including the guys who were cheating uh, each other, uh, and whatever other sin is involved here, are now described in verse 11. A great work of God. Let's continue with this chapter. It's about Christian living. And so let's continue with the next paragraph. It's verse 12. Because now he's going, to, he's going to start dealing with some real issues that these people had. Not necessarily that we have, but some of the points are made and we can learn from them. But the first is they're rejoicing because they're what? They're washed they're sanctified, and they're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And I really want you to remember that, the three things. And, you know, one of the problems I have as a believer, and maybe you don't have this problem, maybe you just forgive and forget, but I have regrets of things that happened before I got saved. And yet I know I can take a verse, well, the 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, that's why I say it just about every time I come up here. It's forgiven. God has forgiven it. What a joy it is to be saved. But now some practical things. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me. But all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And he's going to be start talking about... Um, Issues, and particularly he's going to get to sexual immorality. That, that's going to be the ultimate goal here. But he's also going to talk about things like gluttony and um, drink drunkenness. And where do all these things fit into the Christian life? If you've come out of that, how do they fit in, okay? Uh, and that's what he's going to be getting to. But 
The, the, he lays out the principle first and then gets into the illustrations, okay? And the, 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 but the principle is, well, he takes this thing, all things are lawful. In the NIV, if you have a new international version, it has that in quotes, and it goes like this. Everything is permissible for me. And another version says, I have the right to do everything. Well, they've taken his teaching about, quote, Christian liberty, and they said, this gives me a license now to sin. I can do anything I want. You know, it's a little misapplication of the scripture. But you've given us that. You've told us about Christian liberty when it comes to what you, should eat, what you can eat. You can eat anything, right? You can eat pork. You can eat pork chops, bacon. You can eat all those things. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect your spiritual life. Uh, there's all kinds of things, you know, that... Uh, People will tell you, you do that and you're not so spiritual. You do this and you are spiritual. Um, and he's teaching them that that's not so important. But, but this quote is, then, he, then he's trying to clarify that point when it comes to life. You can't take the, the Christian liberty we enjoy and then uh, use that as, oh, I can do anything I want. Or oh, I can cheat, sexual morality, everything, okay? No, he says, here's a few points, he says. All things are not helpful. And all things that are not, are not beneficial. All things do not profit. In fact, you might be worse off after you did them than before. The next thing is, but all things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Okay, and this is where you're brought into bondage. Um, and we can, we, the simplest thing we can apply that to that we're familiar with are things like um, drinking, okay, or drug use, um, gluttony. I can eat all I want, you know, uh, anything I want, right? And, but, God, but he's saying you're, you're under bondage, you see. When, when you just go to the extreme, you're in bondage again. And God has freed you from that. Now he's going to set you apart to be useful to him. Well, you don't want to be under bondage to food, for example. I mean, that's never been my problem. Chocolate, maybe. But most things, no. But some people have bondage. So you might say, well, I'm eating and I'm 500 pounds because I, have, I can do anything I want. Well, that's a misapplication of the scripture, you see. And that's what he's trying to point out. I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Some things are just temporary. So let's put our mindset towards things that will be lasting. Then he says, now the body is not made for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And the God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And here he's pointing out something very interesting, and that is that our bodies are important to the Lord. And uh, how we treat our bodies are, is important to the Lord. Uh, and this is kind of unusual when you think about it. We're not just, when we die, we're not just going to be, you know, spirits floating around. We're going to have soul, spirit, and what? A glorified body. Okay. And he's telling you now, be careful with what, I've given, what God has given you. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? He tells how that can be taken and, and, and lead into sexual immorality. And go down to verse, verse 18, in fact. That's where we'll jump to. 
Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And this may not be a problem that you have, but in Corinth, uh, here the pagans get saved. And uh, when they were living their, in their pagan idolatry, they have a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. They have a thousand temple prostitutes, all sacred. And uh, here, in a way, he's saying this. If I want food, I'll go eat. If I want sex, I'll go to the temple. Okay, that's what he's saying. And what's, what's the problem? That's what some of the Christians were saying. And he has to deal with that. He says, your body is precious. It's holy. And in fact, he gets into the verse, verse 19. But do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's another reason for taking care of our bodies. And I'm not up here as a health nut. I'm just trying to share what this, what this chapter is trying to get across. Your body is important and you want to take care of it. God has given it to you. Okay. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, what's a temple? Well, that's a sacred place. That's the place where God dwells. Earlier in this book, he talks about the church being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now he applies it a different way. He says your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. God indwells you. So you're precious. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I was reading, you know, recently we voted, and the issue was uh, not in our state, but in other states, uh, legalizing marijuana use, recreational marijuana. And I've heard people say, well, that's not, you know, that's not... Uh, anything you can get addicted to. See, the question is, what can you get addicted to? Those are things that have dominion over you. And so I looked it up and found out from the National Institute on Drug Abuse, long-term marijuana use can lead to addiction. That is, people have difficulty controlling their drug use and cannot stop, even though it interferes with many aspects of their lives. It is estimated that 9% of people who use marijuana will become dependent on it. The number goes up to about one in six in those who start using it while they're young. Let's just share this one thing here. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, heavy marijuana abuse is associated with the following problems or effects. Worsening mental and physical health, relationship problems, higher probability of dropping out of school or abandoning goals, lower grades and reduced academic success, increased absences from school or work, more workers' compensation claims, less career success compared to their peers. An addicted marijuana user will continue to use the drug despite effects like these. It is common for a heavy smoker to stop caring about the damage and just focus on staying stoned. This is what is called addiction. It applies just as much to marijuana as to crack or meth or pain pills. Yet you don't hear this publicly. You know, you're in the in crowd if you're smoking marijuana. You don't hear it. All kinds of things that you know, can destroy your bodies 
uh, all kinds of diseases you hear about are just accepted. You don't hear about it. And so we have to be careful how we treat our bodies. It's what the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And we know that, but we have this from God and we are not our own. One of my heroes, I would call him, is Eric Liddell, the uh, Scottish missionary who went to China and then came back. His family was in China. He came back. He went to Cambridge. But he was a runner. And uh, my granddaughter is in the cross-country team at Claremont High School now, and she, she loves to run. I say, oh, praise the Lord, you know. Uh, I know uh, Brother Jeff likes to run, too. But he said this, after uh, he, he won the world's record in the 400-meter race in 1924. It was, in, if you recall, the movie Chariots of Fire. He's, he's one of the heroes. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Remember that? And that, was, that was, he said that in the movie, I feel his pleasure. Uh, so his body's being used by God. And if, if an opportunity came, at those times, there was an athletic association of athletes who were strong as well as strong in the Lord. And they were often invited to, to speak. And when he was invited to speak, he would always speak, okay, because he would share his faith in, in God uh, many of you probably know this, but he did go back to China. In the movie, his, his sister's concerned whether he'll go on to, to come back as a missionary because he's so famous. He comes back to great fame and applause. He set a world's record in this race, the 400-meter race, and, he come, uh, and she's worried for him. But he does go back to China. In fact, during World War II, he gives up his life in a... Uh, a Japanese prisoner of war camp, okay? And he, he serves a great testimony there. If you, I don't know if you've, there's a documentary on that you might want to watch on Eric Liddell. But God made him for a purpose. He made you for a purpose. If you know him as your personal savior, you should now be starting to understand by reading his word what the purpose of your life is, you see? And your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Take care of it. You get one body, right? We don't believe in reincarnation here. Uh, you get one chance. After this, the judgment, see? That, that's, that's what you want to be concerned about. How are you going to live your life? Is it going to be serve yourself, please yourself, then drop into eternity? Uh, or is it going to be to trust him as your personal savior and then be sanctified, knowing that you're justified by putting your faith and trust in him? We have, just a, uh, we have a few minutes, but let's just turn to one other portion of Scripture. That's all we're going to do there in 1 Corinthians. But go to Titus, if you will. In fact, it was Titus I was first thinking of talking on, but it summarizes everything we just talked about in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you go with me to Titus chapter 2, Timothy Titus. Titus, if you can find it, uh, if you're there now, uh, go to verse 11. 
And this one paragraph in Titus explains the whole book. And that's this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Uh, okay, it's the grace of God that brings salvation. I mean, m many folks would like to go get it, but God is the one who gives it to us. Okay, the grace of God brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does he teach? What does the grace of God teach us? Not that we can do everything we want. Not to do anything we want. It teaches us what? That denying ungodly and unworldly lusts, we should live soberly, that is, with self-control. Righteously, that is, be right standing with each other. No cheating, okay? Be right standing with each other. Live righteously, that's what it means, live uprightly. Be an example to your neighbors, and godly. We have the right attitude towards God. That's the way we should be living, godly in the present age. We're looking for, verse 13, the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our blessed hope. Our blessed hope is to see him again, see him face to face. And our, uh, the, his glorious appearing, he may come suddenly and will be translated to be with him. Or we might pass into eternity and be with him that way. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who what? Verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. So we're going to shift this a little bit to see how we are in God's sight, you see. Why did Christ redeem us? So we could be his special people, you see. Uh, his, own his own, not just his special people, but his own special people were identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power of this verse. He gave himself for us. He gave himself for us, what? That he could have us and we could be his. Redeemed from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The last phrase is the one that just touched my heart when I read this. Zealous for good works. Um, here are the Corinthians cheating each other, you know, and they come out of this, this, this culture of sin, but they're saved, but they don't know much. So some of them figure, well, I'll just go back and do a lot of the stuff I did before, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, everything's permissible, according to Paul's statement of uh, Christian liberty. No, 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 no. Why? He's called us to be his own people, first of all, and zealous for good works. And uh, may that encourage us. If we have a choice to make today or this week in something we can do with our spare time, let's make this real for us. Let's be zealous, zealous of good works. And not just do good works, but be zealous of doing good works. Let that occupy our time and the decisions we make this week. That's That'll be it for today. We're kind of we're finished a little bit early today. But let's. Do, what's the verse we're going to memorize? First Corinthians six, 
11. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, good, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6 and 11. Don't forget it. It'll be precious, especially if there are times you start thinking about before you were saved. You're washed. Praise God. You've got a new life. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. You've called us to be uh, your own special people and to be zealous of good works. Help us to put that into practice this coming week. I thank you for every family represented here this morning and for the children that are in the Sunday school. Bless them. Uh, bless us. Uh, keep us in your word. Uh, purify us for your own use. You know, you have a long ways to go with each of us. And just pray, Lord, that you keep the Lord Jesus Christ close to us and that we would recognize him in what we're reading and uh, learn from it. He said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. In his name we pray. Amen.